we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking nuts? What the fucking nots? What the fuckists? They keep coming in. I guess they're new listeners and they want to pitch in, but I've only got room for about four or five there before it gets ridiculous. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Very exciting. On the show today, Nick Thune, a comic that uh, we definitely had some sort of tension, but we'll work through that. We'll work through some other stuff. I will be, uh, let's plug away. Let's do a couple of plugs. Did I say hi? Did I say how are you? How are you? Nice to see you. You know, let's relax a little bit. Let's just try to relax. I'm jammed up. I got some justcoffee.coop going. Let's do it. Pow! Oh, man, did I shit my pants. But it's not bad because I blended this with cardamom. I actually ground my coffee with cardamom pods and uh, and then sweetened it a bit with some milk. It, there's a place in San Francisco called Phil's, and I decided I was gonna I was gonna outfill Phil, and I and I did that. I just blended the grounds with cardamom, and I made my own Phil's coffee. Not, I'm not trying to plug Phil's, but it's fucking awesome. But uh, just coffee.coop, of course. I do need some coffee. If you're listening, Mike, could you send me some? I'm running out, and I can't afford to be without the without the beans, man. You know what I'm saying, dude? All right. Rooster Tea Feathers, that's in Sunnyvale, California. I will be there this week, July 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. This is a good room. It's in sort of a tech mecca, I believe. I'm not sure. I'm not clear anymore where the hell I am. And I lived in that area for a few years. I don't know where the, what, you know where it is. Sunnyvale, you know, Google it up, find it. I do have some recollection of this club from way back when I did the uh, San Francisco comedy competition, probably 1992. I actually have photographs of me on stage at roosters from that uh, from that time again wearing pants i don't know why i was wearing i don't i swear to god i can't take it anymore i can't take looking at these pictures of myself with these strange choices of of outfit i i guess they're all time sensitive is that a way to put it that i was being sensitive to the time by wearing stupid outfits that i thought would fit into the time god damn it man i hope i have leveled off I hope so. God, I hope so. God, I hope so. Why is that word so empty to me? God, I hope so. God, God, please. I don't. I. It's not even that I. I don't believe in God. I just don't give a shit one way or the other. I don't know if I've talked about that before. I just was not brought up that way. As you know, I was brought up selfish by Jewish parents. I think we've discussed that in one form or another. But I was never taught how to use God. I think that. If God is going to function in your life as something that you're either afraid of or that you find salvation in or that you are able to displace your own problems onto something bigger and find hope there, you must be taught how to use it. Either by your parents or by some uh, somewhere on the spectrum, uh, the oppressive spectrum of uh, religious commitment by your parents or forced to buy your parents or maybe you've come to it later in life. I have no idea. I just was never taught how to use God and uh, the manual I had happened to be in some arcane language that uh, read from uh, from right to left and was fairly complicated. I, I knew how to say it, but I didn't know what it meant. So I was never taught how to use God. But look, I will be honest with you. If I can, I have prayed. 
I have dropped to my knees and prayed to a, a God that I have, didn't believe in, but I learned something about that. There's something about prayer, even if it's as simple as I got on my knees and I said, this is fucking ridiculous. This is just bullshit. I, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Just put that out. If you're on your knees when you do that, there is a humility involved in that. You have humbled yourself to something bigger than you, which is just about everything there is. And that doesn't need to have a label on it in my mind. It doesn't. But the act of prayer, the act of getting on your knees or bowing down or kissing the floor or whatever you want to do certainly is a bit of a, uh, of a compromised position. Uh, it is a position that, uh, that levels your sense of, of importance and I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. I imagine you could meditate, though that seems a little more together. You know, that's a crossway thing. When you're on your knees and you're asking for help to something that is vague, even if you don't believe what it is that you're asking, the act of, of humbling yourself has a little weight. It has thousands of years of weight, even if it is not connected to anything. I've actually said that prayer, too. That, that, that's a, it's an old... Uh, Hebrew prayer where you just get on your knees and you just say, you know, fuck you. Seriously. What the fuck am I supposed to do with this shit? Seriously. I mean, this is just like the worst fucking day, the worst possibility, the worst news. This is fucking stupid and it's painful and fuck this. God damn it. A, a profane prayer. That's what that was. A profane prayer. And I think that's what all of us do every day at least once a day, maybe a few times a week. Those are prayers. God damn it. Oh, fuck. What the fuck? Are you kidding me? Oh, fuck that guy. Fuck this. Who are we talking to? We're not talking to them. We're just saying it out loud. We're putting that into the ether. We are releasing the tension. We are just opening up our personal psychic steam valve. I'm like, letting off a little of that into the ether. Is that good? Does that congeal around the planet in a sort of global haze of cries for help? Existential cries for help? Fuck this. Oh, God, are you fucking kidding me? Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many times I use that word. Jesus Christ. Holy shit. God damn it. These are not taking the names of these these figures or these ideas in vain. These are actually organized, impulsive, aggressive cries for help in the name of these ideas that you may or may not exist in. Why does there have to be such discipline around this shit? I mean, what the fuck? See, I just said that out loud to you, but if the mics are off, who would I be saying it to? My higher self? How about that? How about that idea? Right? God, I wish one of my cats were here so I could talk to him. My guest in the garage, after many um, guilty, I don't even know what you would call it, I, is Nick Thune, the comedian. Um, we're not, I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't know what the problem was, but I had you on, did I cut you out of that one? The, the, oh, the one in San Francisco? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even call it cutting out. I think that I, my my feeling of what happened was is you were doing a podcast all weekend, like you know, because it was the music show and you were right. doing songs, right? And, and uh, 
I feel like I got I feel like you felt guilty in a moment of recording something backstage and you saw me and you go, Oh hey, let me let's just do a quick little thing. Oh, that's a nice way to put it. And then I, I was, thought And then was, I, w- I felt nervous and so it was like really quick and then I go, I'm not good at podcasts and you just went up and went went up. See, because the way I remembered is that like, oh fuck Nick's here and I he probably wants to do the show. This would be a good way to kill two birds with one stone. I wouldn't have to talk to him for very long. We'll just mm-hmm. you don't have to have me come to your house. <laughs> well, I'll actually tell you the first the first time when I, I did put some guilt on you what every time i see you i get you put guilt on me no 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 so we were a bumper shoot uh, yeah comedy festival in seattle the the last one just recently like last year no i think it was three years oh no it was this last year Mm -hmm. yeah and so we were down in the hotel lobby and there was a group of like maybe 10 oh yeah 10 comedians and you and you were basically going around the circle and saying like so kroll tomorrow at noon (laughs) you tomorrow here and you hit everybody in the whole circle and i was standing there and it was obvious that i didn't get hit so i just looked at you and said mark when do i get to do it and you said oh we'll get you on there buddy <laughs> and then i got a phone call from my wife so i stepped away for a second and yeah. i and i answered it yeah and then i came back to the circle maybe like 45 seconds later <laughs> and you had just said something and you walked away so we kind of crossed paths right and the whole circle was just kind of standing there awkward. I didn't know why at that point. Yeah. And I just said, why didn't he just say he hates me? That's why I'm not doing it. And then one of them looked at me and he goes, that is what he just said. <laughs> and so. I didn't really say that. The look on everyone's face was looking at me like. Oh, that's really? What he, that's what he just said. But maybe you were saying, you know, I think a lot of times I misread your. You know, no, I'm a dick to you. There's no doubt about that. I, I <laughs> okay, will, good. I will, I will own up to that. And and you know, and I'm trying to figure out why. If you you want you want to make a a, a real sort of WTF style amends. I like how we just hopped into that right away. I mean, it was. Well, well I guess no. we were talking in your house for a while. And... Well, I don't think that I was. Um, I I doubt that you walked away and I said I hate that guy. Uh, I doubt that. I bet it wasn't those exact words. No, but I probably said something that was bordering on, you know, it was me being funny, but it was probably hurtful. And uh, my issue with you, 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 when you came on the scene, what was that now, about six years ago? In LA? Yeah. Six, seven years ago, right? Yeah, you, you signed with my manager and, uh, and you play guitar. But uh, yeah, so it was the guitar thing. Mm-hmm. You know, generally, you know, I have some sort of weird old school uh, aversion to uh, guitar comedy. Like, there were times where I used to see, you know, when Dimitri, like, I'm just weird like that. For some reason, it strikes me as a crutch. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really the core of, and I think if we really look at the history of our relationship, it's why I bust your balls more than anything else. Oh, yeah, I could tell you the first, I could tell you two instances where you busted my balls about the guitar that definitely burned. Oh, okay. You want me to? Yeah, as as long as we're having a good time. Yeah, no, no, I feel good about him now and I can laugh about him because I feel like we're, we're fine now, but the, uh, Backstage comedy death ray. I was sitting. I was sitting down, and uh, there was one person on, and then it was me, and then you, and yeah. we were all doing fifteen minutes sets. Right. And you kind of came back, and you looked at me, and you go, uh, "So you're going to go on with your smoke and mirrors?" Oh yeah. And uh, <laughs> and I sat there, and I think Chris Fairbanks was sitting next to me, and I said, uh, "Do you need my guitar?" <laughs> and you said, "Yeah." <laughs> And I said, well, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go up, but I think I'll do just as fine either way. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like this really awkward moment. And then I said, why do you want to hurt my feelings so bad? And you said, I'm just busting your balls. And you walk out. And then yeah. it just affected my set. Drove me, you know, and I was like, because the whole time I'm there, like, great. Now he's out there in the crowd watching me. Like, seriously? Well, Mark, I'm just as sensitive as you. you I know? know, but I, I guess so I, I was talking to somebody about this before. And I maybe, um, 
is that I'm not always really clear on the impact I have on people. Like I don't, mm. I don't see myself as uh, any different. If anything, I see myself as as less than some people, and I don't really, uh, you know, take into consideration that I'm like such a powerful guy that has a a, a radio show he does in his garage. Like I've no, it, it, I don't know how I would affect you. I wouldn't have even thought of that, and that makes me sad. And now I have to like, I have to be, I have to make note to myself to be empathetic to what effect i have on other people now what's the other time i hurt you oh it was recently in minneapolis is this a better one yeah but that was bullshit <laughs> what was bullshit about all right what happened no i, I was walk. i just walked out of radio <laughs> i'm walking down the hallway and you said uh you walked by me in the hallway to go to the same radio station yeah walking down the hallway and you go did you get my text and i said uh no i had my phone off in the radio and you go oh okay i was i was saying if i wish i would have brought my guitar it would have been <laughs> it would have been a lot easier and so I walk outside and I'm just like that motherfucker, you know, and like the, the, the girl that had driven me there is that, you know, works at the club was just like, was he being funny? And I go, I think he's just trying to hurt my feelings. And then I go outside and I see there is a van out there that was the comedy club van that yeah. you, from where you were working at that looked like one of those rapper vans, just like logos all over it. And yeah. so I just took a picture of it and sent it to you and said, nice car. Uh, Thinking like that's somehow getting back at you for, yeah, I don't even remember for making that for making me uh question my i don't know what for but, but it's like it becomes a running joke why you get so hurt no it does it does but you I'll, must be inside you must be you must have your own feelings about it well my my i think my feelings with you were because i remember when i got introduced to you was at the improv and it was through dave the dave becky yeah my dave. uh my uh tremendous first manager and he and and he was like you got to meet mark he's he's a legend he's hilarious he's done a ton of things in comedy you really got to meet him and so he brought me over and i met you and it was just like I don't know. I don't remember. You didn't say much to me, but it was just like right away. I was like, oh, man, this guy hates me. And I don't think he even knows me, but I just thought he just was not nice to me. And then, and so I think from that point, I have this thing inside me where most comedians have where you just want to make everyone like you. you yeah. Know? Especially if it's somebody that's your elder in the business or somebody that yeah. has been in it for a lot longer that you respect. And yeah. Of course, after Dave said all that stuff about you, I looked you up and knew about all your stuff. Yeah. And because uh, I wasn't that familiar with the comedy world when I'd first come down here. Well, look, I, I apologize for all that. But, you know, you're one of those anomalies in show business. You're you're an attractive guy. Uh, I mean, in comedy, you know, and you uh, you look like you should have a lot more going for you than doing stand up comedy. This is for us. You know, the runts. It's for the freaks. And the how do you know I'm not a runt, though, inside? Well, I'm starting to realize you're you're kind of uh, you know a little sensitive, and I am too. Yeah, uh, but come I think on. coming from you, you are so sensitive. I know, but I've toughened up a little bit. I think. No, I, you're right. I'm easily hurt, but I hide it, and and I uh, I guess the, the fact that you don't hide it made me want to do it more sometimes. But like seriously, when you uh, I you, wear it on my sleeves, and it makes it more fun. It, you see when you but, see uh, the reaction. Well, am I the only one that buses that does that to you? I mean, who else hurts no. your feelings on a day to day basis? My mom. Oh, see, so now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> she disappointed. Did she have hopes that you would be an actual singer song? Yeah, probably. Oh, I made that decision early on. Now I, gonna I, keep I, doing I had it, no you know, talent. That was no holds barred. With the you had no talent when it came to like singing. You know, like being it, when it came to like being real and like trying to like write a sensitive song. I just couldn't do something like that. You tried doing that, of course. Yeah, didn't you? I mean, when you know, when you're young and very young, I think I gave that up. I think, like, I wrote a song. I've written a couple songs in my life. I wrote a song for a girl, in um, when I was in probably eighth grade, mm -hmm. and she was in tenth grade, and she had a boyfriend in tenth grade, and I was so fucking in love with her. And I wrote a song, and we performed it. I performed it with a couple dudes, like in a band situation at the school. In a, oh, at the, oh god. And uh, 
and she was very moved by it. But she, but then the, her boyfriend punched me in the stomach, like right after the show. Like you know, we had this great glorious moment. And Could have he, been that. That's actually the best situation possible, I think, for a growing situation. To, to stop singer songwriting, I was like, I'm giving up this dream. <laughs> to get, I, like, I can't breathe. <laughs> I tried to catch my breath. I think I tried to write a few serious songs. I but think so, I, so we're, but you started out doing that. So you, because you got married, you what? You're married, but it's like you got married weirdly young, right? No, I mean I'm 31. I got married three years ago. Oh, but you were with her since high school or something? We dated um, right after high school for three years, and we broke up for five, and then we got back together. And in our breakup is when I really kind of pursued comedy and moved on. Yeah, who broke up with who? She broke up with me. Nice. Yeah, no, heartbreak for sure. Yeah, good. And now now she's back. Have you found that your comedy has turned into shit? No. No, I found that I'm more comfortable now because I got to a place when we got back together where I wanted that stability. I wanted somebody Mm -hmm. where I wasn't like worried about you know out on the road which is not the reason i'm with her anyway because i love her but yeah dude i hear what helped. you're saying but you should always be worried when you're out on the road but you know we'll talk about that maybe later because <laughs> you know who knows what happens they get lonely they uh you know they start emailing with the screenwriter they start you know going to writers group meetings with the screenwriter this sounds very specific then, oh it does i'm sorry <laughs> I, I was trying to be general um but uh all right so you're in seattle you're uh how old are you now 31 is that real? Mm-hmm. Is that or is that your IMDb age? Can't fake no, that shit anymore. Seventy nine, born in seventy nine. All right, so you're thirty one years old. You've been doing comedy like what eight years? Do I look older? No. Oh, you think I'm like saying I'm older so I get better parts or something? No, I thought you'd be younger. Oh, okay. No, I think you actually grew the beard to make you look older, or to make you look like a grown up because you kind of got. Oh yeah, well I wanted a beard since I was a kid. I definitely matured later. I mean, I I was just but you're like nine feet tall. Life. Yeah, I got tall really early, but I didn't get like you know pubes or armpit hair until I was like. Ninth grade. Oh, so you the guy everyone laughed at in the locker room? Yeah. Really? You oh, had to yeah. go through that? Seventh grade was the worst year of my life. Seventh, eighth grade was terrible. Oh, I always felt bad for those guys. And they made us shower. You know, there, there oh. was no option to not shower. That's horrendous. Why do they do that? I don't know. I'm glad they didn't. I mean, I'm like glad for all those things that I, you know. Really? You processed them? Uh, maybe still processing them. I was but look, you got a little chest hair born. now. You, it came oh, out, yeah, right? Now I'm like a normal guy. Yeah, I got just about as much as you do, just the right amount. Yeah. Not too. This is what my dad has, too. I feel like I'm just kind of right on par. Really? And your dad kept his hair? Yeah, I still got a full head. So going back to uh, you in the shower in seventh grade, <laughs> being laughed the, at. The only interesting thing so you don't have that. No, I'm just uh, I'm picking up a thread. That's what I do here. We're just talking. It we're we're yeah. making amends. I'm sorry I made fun of you and your guitar, but I'm not going to stop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're just going to have to. But you know, I feel like it's just different. That's why you don't like it. My my uh, issue, and it's not like this isn't controversial at all. It, it's just it, you tell funny jokes, mm-hmm. but uh, and the guitar is fine and it's nice and it seems to work for you. Mm-hmm. But there's some part of me just because I'm an old dick that like I play guitar. Uh, you know, I have several right behind me. I could never figure out a way to bring them on stage, and that's why I played real music when I played, and um, and I just wouldn't do it because I was it was burned in my mind that mm-hmm. you know you don't. Do you're not a guitar act because there was a period in the 80s where all these guys, once comedy blew up in all the clubs, all these happy hour performers sort of started coming into comedy. You know, once the happy hour shut down, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, just guys that did cover songs and did funny songs and did, you know, held their guitar a lot. So, like, the, the musical act, the prop act, and the juggler were sort of lumped into this category. Mm hmm. And I and, and sadly, I, I still have residuals of that belief system in place, and I should I should replace it with some other belief system. I I think uh, I think it's fine. Have you tried doing it without a guitar? 
Yeah, no, I go up. I mean, I went up that night. We were talking about it. CD. I go up a lot without a guitar, and then like I'd say maybe twenty minutes of my hour I do without a guitar. Yeah, when I'm on the road, right? You know, but it's that the closing, and also since I started with it, I've built people that want that. You know, I come out and and I still enjoy doing it. I think if there's ever a you've point, built people. Well, built an audience oh, of yeah, people yeah. that want to see that. I built people. <laughs> yeah, I'm at home building a small audience. <laughs> I cut them out of cardboard and I set them up in my in my spare I'm bedroom. A people builder. You're a people builder. Well, that's good that you're getting popular. What What do you? Uh, well, I don't know if I'm getting popular, but well, you know, I'm going to try and throw some compliments your way. But if you're going to keep you know hitting well, them I, back over the net, I don't know what I'm. going to I never want to be the guy that you know you know, that says yeah <laughs> yeah i'm confident i'm a rock star yeah well I, I can be pretty confident but i think everything's down going back to the seventh grade thing i think my whole junior high not maturing early enough all the kids in my neighborhood were good at sports and i wasn't the sports guy so that's what kind of caused me to get like you're awkward to make people like me i was like just charm just be charming right make the parents like me and right then, and piss your teachers off yeah i had a lot of teacher problems right well i got kicked out of school because you know i had a an alcohol kind of drug youth where I went to rehab when I was 17. You and, did? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. What did you do? I was just drinking and smoking, you know, smoking pot. My Starting parents to like didn't you even more. That. And they, so you were socially awkward, too tall, didn't play sports, had no pubic hair, and no real skills. <laughs> no. And your teachers were mad at you because you were probably clowning around in class all the time or falling Yeah, I was asleep. trying to get laughs, like, you know, farting, right. whatever. Exactly. You farted? Oh, you farted class. for laughs? Yeah. At what age? Seventh grade. That's great, because that's a little late for that. So you had no pubic hair, <laughs> and you farted in front of girls in class. No, I remember when I farted in this English class, and the teacher, you know, in the midst of him, like, writing something, he turned around, and he goes, I'll give that a seven, and it got a laugh out of the room. And so the next day, I just waited. I'm just going to lay it on him again, wait for the perfect time. The English time. class, he, he tagged your fart? Yeah, he said, I'll give that a seven. <laughs> and the next day, I did it again, and he turned around, and he goes, a joke is funny one time. Never do that again. Oh, shit. And I just, it, you know, it humbled me in the sense of, like, oh. Maybe he's right. Maybe farting isn't the best. <laughs> but maybe you were really going for an eight or a 10. Uh, well, I think I was trying to exceed <laughs> it for sure. I was definitely. Farting in public, that's some ballsy stuff. Yeah, I've but I've seen people that I can respect in comedy fart in public, and, and it's been really funny. You know? Like, I mean, like, I can see certain guys farting. Like, Brendan Walsh was just here because they wanted to <laughs> jump. Like, he could fart anywhere and, and be okay with it. Mm -hmm. There's a certain attitude that goes around with it. I can't see you farting in public now. No, I'm not, and I'm not a fart guy now. Not proudly, anyways. Yeah. You get, yeah. Like, whoops, and then blame it on someone else. <laughs> Hiding kinda, it, walking yeah. away. So you used to do, uh, you used to drink a lot and smoke a lot in high school, and you were a problem to your parents, and you end up in rehab. What, you were 16 or something, 17? 17, I got kicked, I got kicked out of school, and... All in one day, arrested the next morning. It was my third, like, minor in possession of Pot? alcohol. No, alcohol. And I had a trespassing charge for who knows what. I for, even forget what that was. You but. forgot a trespassing charge. Well, it was like I was just drinking and then ended up in someone's backyard somewhere and then got in trouble. Because <laughs> they didn't know you were in their backyard? There was a trampoline. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just some dude you knew who had one? Just someone on the block. You know you know, you know know who has trampolines and you know who has pools. <laughs> so you just figured, fuck it, I'm going to use the trampoline. Yeah, trampoline time. And the parents called the fucking cops. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. trampolining. And I got, that was a put on top of minor possession. And so I came out, went to rehab for a month lockdown in Oregon. My parents, I'd been kicked out of my parents' house for a while. Really? So they let me come back and live with them once I got sober. And then I basically changed high schools the next year and kind of just turned my life around and, and started speaking, you know, to like, I went back and spoke at my high school and I would go back and speak at the treatment center and I was doing AA and running my own meetings. And, and, uh, it, it, that's where I started being funny, like, uh, in front of people, like I would go speak at a high school and get laughs. And so think, are you like an AA I youth speaker? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, 
you know, because just like an addict, you know, you do something and you do it all the way. Yeah. And, and I took meetings all the way. I was going to two meetings a day. Right. And that was the it point was your... where I was like, cool, I can smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. And I'm yeah. still in high school and I like hang out with adults and like learning real things. And yeah. And uh, I had a full time job at the time, too, because I had to get work credit outside of high school to graduate on time. And my dad got me a job at a car dealership. Was that DECA? Yeah, it was DECA. And I ran the student store in DECA. Uh-huh. I, uh huh. I was in DECA, but I never went. You never went? Well, I mean, I went, but I couldn't understand it. I was such a fuck up in high school, and it wasn't even drugs. It was just I couldn't like pay attention to anything. But I ended up because I had a job in high school. I was working at a restaurant. I, met, I was a shift manager at a bagel place, and I I got Decca because I thought like this like if this seems easy, and if all I got to do is you know you know work, yeah, that's it, and and get credit, that'd be great. And mm -hmm. I think I did it. But I remember the the guy who ran Decca was this weird old drunk. But so you were a decade guy. You, yeah, it's weird when you realize a te when you actually get older and you look at a teacher and you go, "Oh, he wasn't just slow. He was." No, I had a couple of boozers. But uh, but yeah, okay. So you were you were fucked up. So yeah. you're scraping by, you know, doing the deca thing, doing two meetings a day, being the AA guy. It's like, hey, kids, you don't have to use drugs. Actually, the in. first big comedy thing I did was with deca because I was managing the student store. And I would put like posters up in the hallway, like, "Hey!" And I and I brought bagels into the school. They didn't have those there before, and I thought it was like making a change here, a cultural and, change, yeah. Like, introducing Jew food into a into get bagels in the morning. Why yeah. not? Why yeah. you know? Why worry about breakfast at home? Oh, okay, yeah. That was like my, my my slogans that I would do. Oh, and you probably wrote this down as like this uh, entrepreneurial thing, right? Yeah. Uh huh. And then they had the thing where somebody runs for student body president, and so I went in and said, "Listen, I'm going to start putting posters up that say student store for president as a joke." You know, and it kind of the students kind of latched onto it. No, no one really knew who I was because I was new at the school. And I went and talked to the principal and said, "Why don't you let me do a fake speech at the assembly for running for president for yeah. the student store, like an advertisement yeah, in between yeah. things?" Yeah. And so I got to do that, and I went out and did like a like the student store is running for president. And I remember like getting laughs and thinking like this is something I want to <laughs> more I laughs. Do. Yeah, yeah, more laughs, less getting serious. Oh, that's hilarious! So you actually found your voice through you know changing your life and. Uh, and talking to kids, and that's when he started to get funny. Yeah, and then I got a job at the Boys and Girls Club for five years, and that's when I did a lot of performance for kids and How working old? with teenagers. Uh, 18. You were 18, and the kids were you really young? The kids were junior high, high school. So, so what, I was just right above them. Right what kind of shows did you do? I would run an open mic every week at a coffee shop, and I, my, my mentality was, is, you know, kids are nervous. They don't want to all perform, but they all want to hang out. Yeah. So we get like five kids that want to perform for a two-hour show. So I would just be on stage the whole time unless there was a kid performing. Right. And I would just do different bits, and I'd write a song about the barista, or I'd do a thing, and, and uh, more and more stage time until I was kind of pushed out into doing open mics outside of that. And uh, Then the harsh reality of And then comedy. bars, yeah. Well, then I was in a cover band. Oh. And that's when I started doing the intermission for the cover band. I would do a half hour, because I just thought you'd do a half hour. You were a cover band playing electric guitar? Acoustic. You played acoustic in a cover yeah. band. Yeah, but we were we were called No Oblos and we did all Spanish songs, like bit Ricky Martin and yeah. Ricky Iglesias, not like real Spanish, you know. Yeah. We were trying to be funny. Oh, so it was an ironic cover band. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. In Seattle. Because can you really play? I mean. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I'm not like a lead guy like you. Right. I'm not um, that good at it, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I took piano as a kid and so yeah. I understand reading music and, <clears throat> and uh, I can just make myself sound like I know how to play. But I can pick up songs by listening. Well, that's cool. So, all right, so you sort of come into comedy kind of like uh, in, a, in a weird way. Like you got all these performance shops for a few years doing very sort of specialized but embracing gigs. And then you sort of shifted to 
to comedy clubs or what were you doing? Alt stuff? No, I was also DJing weddings and bar mitzvahs that whole time at the Boys and Girls Club. So the weekends I would be on a microphone for four hours, you know, at a wedding, trying to get them to like me, get a tip or to bar mitzvah. And so like learning just to be like, because I think my biggest thing in the beginning was being likable. You yeah. Know? I just wanted to get a tip. And, and then I learned being likable would win me the audience. And then, I, and then I basically went to Europe for three months, came back and said, I got to get out of Seattle. I got to go to LA. And I just got to LA and did a year of open mics that were just terrible poetry, music, open mics. and No comedy. No, doing comedy in every room. But I found that if I would go to a comedy open mic, I wouldn't get laughs. But if I went to a musical open mic and walked You're up like, like I was a, a musician, and then I go right into my comedy, they're, they're an audience now at this point. They're not just comedians waiting for their spot. You know? All right, so you, had, you failed in the comedy clubs. No, I didn't go to a comedy club. The first, the first club I went to was the Improv, and I got made a regular that first show. Like, uh, because I just had it, you know. I, all right, so you did all the, okay, so I see what you're saying. So you did, you just made your, you just paid your dues doing these, these rooms where they were a little more supportive. Yeah, and or then, I just, where I just kind of stayed under the radar. I didn't want to be seen before I had material. That's, you actually thought that? You had that Somebody told me that when I, I saw an acting coach one time before I left Seattle and she, she had me bring my guitar in and I had one five minute bit about peanut butter and jelly. I did it for her and she goes, okay, when you go to LA. Just stay under the radar. Don't let anybody see you and get good. And then when you're ready, go to a club. Well, that's hard to do in this town, but you you were aware of that. Yeah, but I didn't know how to get into the club, so it was easy. Like, you so you know. just did kind of weird, shitty open mics. Yeah, terrible, terrible open mics. Yeah, but I did 500 sets in this one year of first moving here. That's pretty smart, though, because you know, you're only a new face once, and you were yeah. able to capitalize on it. So you, you do the improv the first time you're there, they pass you, and then how long before Becky came around? Well, that, that, that night I did the improv. That back was it a then, showcase? Jesse was, no, it wasn't a showcase, but they were just booking Aspen, the comedy festival that right. year. And Jesse took a video of my set and he called me on Monday and said, listen, we got a meeting in 10 minutes for Aspen. They're looking for two more new faces. And I didn't even know it. I had to Google the comedy festival. Right. I didn't know. And he said, can I show him the tape? And I said, great. And then I got a call 20 minutes later saying they want you to come. And then 20 minutes later, my phone, you know, it was like just voicemails exceeded from managers and agents like who's this kid that we've never heard of because right. nobody had ever heard of me fresh meat and i had a full website because i'm from seattle and kind of knowledgeable in that stuff and i think it was even on par with dane cook's website at the time because not many comedians had good websites right and so everybody went to my website and thought whoa where's this guy been <laughs> this how do we miss got, him he's got a tour schedule you yeah. know like you, yeah yeah so oh, it worked hilarious. out it was just time it was like that perfect timing now let's talk about something honestly so there you are you've got I'm assuming by that time, by the time you went to Aspen, what'd you have, like 20 maybe? Yeah, I could push to 30. Right, and so all this shit is coming at you because I remember there was a lot of heat on you and uh, it wasn't clear you know, what you were going to do with the talent and Becky was like, uh, you know, you ended up with Becky and he's very good at, at sort of um, making things happen once there's heat, but what was the plan? I mean, you were, you were a guitar guy. I yeah. mean, what was his plan? What was your plan? I think the plan right away was to get me on Comedy Central. You know, and at Aspen, I came out with a little Comedy Central deal, and I got my... They wanted to do an hour. They yeah, said, they, now what happened behind that? Because there were some, you know, things going around the you know community. About the Comedy Central thing? About the hour, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, they... Well, I you got them the to make a deal. Were? Well, I'll tell you what happened, then you can tell me if this is kind of what it was. Okay. So I, I, I knew that I didn't have an hour, but uh, I thought I can push to 30, and if it's 42 minutes, I'm going to try. And I didn't realize how big of a deal that first hour was because I was so new still. And so they said, you know, take three months, four months, get it together. And we'll come watch you at, at, at a club. And I did that. And they came out to the Laugh Factory. And, and I sat down with Becky beforehand. And I said, I don't know if this is going to be 
good hour. You know, I'm I'm really nervous about it. And I think you were I, doing an hour or forty two. I was well. I basically did forty five at the Laugh Factory for them that night, and they set up this big showcase. And we finished the hour, and I went upstairs and sat down with whoever you know was with Porter, somebody from Comedy Central, and I just said, "Can we just do a half hour?" Yeah. And she was like, "Great." Oh, really? Yeah, do a half hour, and I, I was like, I can't do an hour. I'm not ready. Right. Well, that's exactly what people were saying. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I tell people. Right, but I, but I think that <laughs> I think that the, the spin on it in the uh, in the vicious circle of comedians is like, yeah, he couldn't do the hour. I mean, think about people that have gotten the hour and they did it and they still couldn't. You know, I just didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to have an hour and not do it well. <laughs> I think that's smart. So you did the half hour. I mean, I'm not trying good. to impress my peers. I'm trying to impress the you know people. Although I do like how my peers like me, but I'm sure people hate me. Why wouldn't they? I, why would they? At that point, because who was this oh, guy? Oh, because he got the opportunity. Why did he have an hour? Sure. You know, and the half hour went well. People are waiting in line for that sort of thing, and then just some kid comes in and yeah, that's a lot of people think there's a line, but that they're just waiting. <laughs> people do think there's a line. I know. You know. Yeah, yeah. it's just. Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's naive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's just naive. So okay, so you did the half hour, and is it bad to share the details of your career like this? Is it or is it better to keep mystery? Oh, you mean in general for your own career? Yeah. No, I don't know. I think I, I it's an interesting conversation to me because I've not really talked to somebody that you know paid their dues in the way you did, <clears throat> and I imagine some people would argue whether or not that you you really have in, in the sense that you probably are still paying dues in terms of you know being on stage and learning how to be a stand up, mm-hmm. but the idea that I think would be, that's interesting to me and I think would be interesting to other performers is that it's almost impossible to be anonymous in, in this business anymore. Because yeah. if anything's up on YouTube or you, you are at almost any club in this town, somebody's going to see you and say something. But the fact that somehow or another you had enough forethought to, uh, to remain invisible until you actually had an act, because I don't think a lot of people realize that there's only, a, when you're a new face, when you're genuinely uh, a new talent, that's only going to happen once. Yeah, and people are going to remember that and judge you off it. Well, and... you're going to get a shot uh, if you've got anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know, this is the great thing about comedy. This is the difference between comedy and acting and everything else is that you know we generate our material. So if all of a sudden you come out with this killer 10 minutes and no one's ever seen you before, you're going to get management. You mm-hmm. might get a shot at, at an hour or, or whatever it is. But you know whether or not you can do that or live up to those opportunities, who the hell knows? I mean, that happens all the time. Well, I'm just glad I'm, I'm glad that I didn't do that hour. You know, I mean, that would have been a mistake in my career for sure. At that, that time, it wasn't even a career yet. It was just right. It could be a career. And then what happened? So, like, there's other things I heard, and you know, I'm not trying to be a dick, but weren't you cast in a show, or where, or did you replace somebody? Or did somebody replace you? Or I mean, that's happened both ways. I've I've been replaced and I've replaced. Yeah, you know, I and mean, you knew the guy in both cases, right? The guy that replaced me in the show, I didn't know. The guy that I replaced, yeah, I mean. Yeah, he's a, you know he's another comedian, it, and it wasn't that they replaced him because I was any better than him. They went with a whole different person. Right? No, that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. it's not like he's not funny. It's just that uh, he's not no, he's good. like way funnier than me and, and right. way more established than me. But what they, were these TV shows? Yeah, yeah. For for the one that um, I replaced on was an NBC show. Yeah, with with uh, Matthew Broderick that Lauren Michaels was producing. Right. And that was, it seemed you like got it was going to be a good, no, that's the one that I replaced oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. one that I got replaced on was a CBS show that, that uh, was, I don't know. I, and these were just acting gigs? Yeah. Now, how do you feel about that? I like them. Yeah? Yeah. It's kind of weird though, right? You're just saying, you're doing other people's jokes. Yeah, well, like I just taped a pilot this year that's still kind of, I'm finding out For the who? next week, NBC. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Are you the lead? 
Yeah. And what was it about? It was about me living with a lesbian, uh-huh. and uh, I start dating a girl who's got a lesbian roommate, and uh, we put those two girls together, and then it turns out at the end of the episode, I got my roommate pregnant two months ago, and something like of her saying, I just want to have a guy, you know, I want to be with a guy one time in my life, and it turns out I got her pregnant, and that's, you know, sparks into the whole show. Really? But the great thing about Whose that- Whose idea was that? You? No, this lady, Joni Marchinko. So you just got cast. I got cast. As yeah. It, yeah. But they actually put my jokes in there. And for the pilot, I said, yeah, as many jokes, you know, to make it real for mine. And they wanted me to just knock them out of the park. And and uh, so they let, you know, I, I threw a lot of jokes in that, which was fun. So you're like, you know, everything's going good for you. I mean, there's things that aren't going good like sometimes. Like what? I don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like when you're trying you to start to work hurt? out. Oh, yeah? A little bit. I got a bike, you know. Yeah, how's Want to get in shape. You bought the bike? How long has it been since you bought it? Uh, three months. And how many times have you ridden it? Uh, I've probably ridden it 20 times Yeah. in three months. That's not bad. No, it's not. You know, I live by Elysian Park, so I just ride through there, and it's a nice yeah. little... But I'm definitely out of shape in, in every way possible. Now, what? Now, when you changed your life around, mm-hmm. like how, like, was it just through AA? No, it, there, I, was, I was very involved in church as well. My parents had kind of taken me to a church growing up, and I would go to church camps all the time. And Church camp? Yeah. Oh, tell me some stories. About I actually met my camp. wife at church camp. Um, Are you still churchy? You know, I mean, I still believe in God. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've kind of fallen off church. I've had a hard time with churches in, in Hollywood. And yeah. also, you get in the comedy community and... I do question things now, you know, I do, you know, I find myself sometimes thinking like, is there a God? You know? Really? So the heathens have gotten to you? The, yeah, the, 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 the world has gotten to me, you know, the, the, in the sense of, you know, the church and. So now tell me, like, when you say you, you were active in the church, you know, when you were growing up, so you went to church every Sunday, what kind of church? Non-denominational Christian church. What, that's that vague kind of Christianity? Yeah, it's, it's just more about like, hey, we're happy and we're good. Personal relationship with God, with Jesus uh-huh. and God, which, you know. And it's just like being Methodist, but it's not like people aren't up in their seats, like chanting and sure. doing like speaking in tongues. Is there a guitar at the church? Yeah, and I played guitar at church. You did? And that's where I really learned how to play with a band and play with other people. And You played uh, I learned a lot of Jesus songs? Oh, yeah. How come you don't do any of those? <laughs> I'll just take that up on stage? <laughs> yeah. I should. I've done events before where it was a, like a Christian college, you know, where you have to do something that... Did you ever think about doing Christian comedy? No, I never wanted to do anything that was just directed towards Christians. And, and that's even speaking of like when I was in, I think probably my strongest probably place of a relationship with God to where I didn't want to draw, I didn't want to do anything to that audience. I wanted to do something to the world. I wanted to speak to the world and, and, and to people. And I didn't want to be characterized in this. As a, as a mission? Well, I mean, I've, I've been on mission trips, uh, plenty of them, but... Uh, but like when you thought about yeah, I wanted people to look at me and not think like oh he's a Christian, but there's something about that guy. There's you know something about him that's not quite the same. Maybe you know what. And then what was the hope after that that they'd come up to you and you'd say, well, you want to hear the good news? I guess yeah, maybe. But that, uh-huh. you know, I think that that if I were to say that my motives were 100 percent pure, then yeah. But I mean, I'm not a 100 percent pure guy. Yeah, clearly. I mean, something has gone wrong. So, you know, pride is is and ego and age. Mm. you know and, yeah. and and being an adult and seeing things but i you know i think deep down i was in a place of recovery and i needed to be surrounded by this by that stuff and if i wasn't then i was going to be back out 
being what I but, what but I you grew up with be. it though. So even though you were surrounded by that stuff, you didn't I didn't believe you. it growing up. I didn't believe it till after I got sober. And so what was, was that moment like? I mean, what brought on that moment of belief? Where where it was it just that the conversation within the rooms that you know when you're given the option of a higher power of your own understanding? Yeah, you were just sort of like, well, you know, I've, I've had Jesus on the back burner. Yeah, and I looked at it as God. I mean, I I remember thinking people that do the doorknob thing or the light bulb, and you know, I didn't. I think that's bullshit. I do too. I didn't understand. But that. I mean, I don't think people really have a doorknob. I don't know why they use those examples. You can be whatever you want. It can yeah. be a chair. It's like you know, if your God's a chair, you're a retard. This <laughs> is a problem. Yeah. No, I I I think I just knew that I you know I was powerless. I was my life was unmanageable, and I knew that I could never bring the reins on my life and 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 bring it in and make it good. But there's still some part of me that even knowing that that like I don't need to have a defined you know, even you know outside of recovery. Let's we can shift the the language. Like even knowing that I'm powerless, and even knowing that you know for most practical purposes I have very little control over my life. The 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 surrendering my disbelief, suspending my disbelief to allow a defined God into my life is is a little bizarre. I, I don't have any problem with having a certain amount of faith without God mm-hmm. and knowing that, like, well, I don't have control and, and a lot of it's uh, is sort of a crapshoot. You know, there's some days where I'm like, how did I live this long? Why didn't I just get hit by a truck? God forbid I get hit by a truck right after this interview. But, but you know, that, happen. Uh, yeah, well, of course, it could happen to anybody. Anything could happen. But I was not the kind of person that was going to be like, well, I must be being looked out after. Yeah, I'm not going to do that with mm-hmm. my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, decide that I'm special. Do you think it's too easy? Well, I think it's bullshit. I mean, I think by the laws of uh, of possibility, you know, usually most things is kind of explained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. It, there, there's you know, there are ratios that sort of like, well, you weren't even in that position. Or, yeah, they're freak accidents and everything. But I wasn't going to give that much um, credence to to uh, to to my uniqueness. You know, yeah. given the world we live in, but. But I know there's just a little fucking switch, you know, in the heart and mind of a person where, you know, they just let go of that thing and and they're like, I'm going to believe now. Yeah, I want they want to believe in it. They 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 want to believe that there's something that has created them and created this earth and that there is an answer and there might be an ending that's not empty. Yeah. So now this church camp thing. So after you got sober, you went to church camp. I went to So I got sober in May and uh there's a church camp that summer, and so I went to that. What do you do at church camp? It was fun. Those are some of my great memories growing up. It, there, it was this. It was this camp in Northern California. We were up in Seattle, so we'd all get in a bus. There was 300 students, you know, between high school, and you go down for a week, and you're in this, you know, this ranch. There's what? There's a huge man-made lake with rope swings going into it. So it's climbing that's just walls. camp camp stuff. But it's just camp camp, and then you have, you know, you have a morning like worship session, a nighttime worship session. What do you do at a morning worship session? You go in and you you sing like worship songs and and you pray and you kind of start, you start your day off right. Uh, some start people it off might. right. Yeah, you know you want to start your day off because you're there for a reason. It's, you're there to have fun with your friends, but you're also there to grow in your relationship with God. Is you know at a church camp. But people for. were getting blowjobs and stuff, right? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I made out with a couple girls out by down by the water. Really? Yeah. Like, did you did you uh, finger bang anyone at church camp? Not never at a church camp. No, I, I think the furthest I ever got at a church camp was just to lay down, make out by the by the water. A little boob. Yeah, a little boob. <laughs> and, you know, girls are walking around in bikinis at that thing, and it's all it's bikinis just, for Jesus. Exactly that, and that turned you know over time. They when I when I actually became a counselor later. Yeah, for that same camp. Yeah, they, you know they changed the rules for bathing suits. Oh, I thought you were going to say that's when I started fucking. Them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been revealing. <laughs> 
Oh, you're so sweet there, Nick. All right, so you're doing all this churchy stuff. You meet your wife at church camp. Yeah, you know how I met her. It's, I mean, it sounds Oof. stupid. And, and what? 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 What was that? Oof. Well, it's just like you know, you're, you're obviously you know pretty comfortable with all this stuff, and and uh, you know you still have an active faith in your life, and I assume you still pray relatively regularly. I try to remember too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and uh, and she's also still uh, an active Christian. I think she, yeah, I mean, in the yeah, and I, you know, look, I, you know, I'm not criticizing, and I'm not even trying to be condescending. Yeah, I, I find that it's interesting to me that I can't, like, like I, in those moments of of existential darkness or loneliness, you know, I can't have a certain amount of surrender around the fact where it's like, well, you know, you know, life is sort of a jip. And it's kind of a joke, and we don't have that much time. So maybe you should be nice to people. Maybe you should be grateful for what you have. Uh, you know, maybe you should you know make a list of things that you know would make you a better person. Uh, maybe you should um, you know think of others over yourself. I have a lot of those lists. Well, yeah, but I but those are just decent human stuff. Yeah, and and actually, you know, um, acting in that way makes you feel better. Like a lot of the things that, you know, you learn in show business or you learn in this culture is that, you know, it's all about me, me, me. How do I get more money? How do I get more food? Mm-hmm. How do I get more pussy? You know, how do I get more, uh, you know, shoes, whatever the hell it is. But you start to realize as you get older is that, you know, those things are nice, but they're, if you don't change on the inside, you're not, it's not going to fix you. Yeah. No, it's not. It's, and it's also going to just create more stress in your life because then you're never kind of getting up to what it is that you know is the right thing. Right. So have you ever actively uh, in your life um, facilitated someone's transition into Christianity? Have you saved somebody? Yeah. You how know, many? when I was a counselor. Oh, yeah. I don't know how many, you know, but there's been some like there's there's a few memories of some really great moments. There's actually one memory I was, it was like an eighth grade group and we'd taken him down for spring break to go to Disneyland and we'd drive him back up in a van. How old are you now? Uh, 19. Uh-huh. Maybe, yeah, 19. And there was a kid in there, you know, an eighth grade kid, and he basically said to me in the van, like, you know, I think I'm ready to accept um, God into my heart. And I just, I remember thinking, great, so I, let's let's pray, you know, and, and, and uh, we started the prayer and the, the pastor in the car stopped me and goes, you're not doing that right, let me do it. And he, and I remember the bitterness, it, it, and it like, it really frustrated me because I, I, I thought, what, what's the right way? The fact that this kid just said verbally out loud that he's ready to do this. And then the fact that, you know, I've been working with him now for, for months in a, a small group back at here and meeting weekly and hanging out with him and his friends. And, and, uh, and that was a weird, well, what a was weird the thing. right way? And what were it was you just doing wording. wrong? It was just wording. Well, what, well, okay. So what, so play it out even, for me. Let's say okay. I don't remember I'll, the specifics between words, but if you're you know you're sitting down with somebody, you say, "Are you ready to surrender yourself and to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior?" And they go, "Yeah, I think so." Yeah, and there's like I think there's a couple questions that you're supposed to say yes to, or you know, almost like a wedding, like I do or something. And oh, but you didn't know those. Igno- no, I didn't. And know you still those. don't know. No, huh? Because I don't think there is a right or wrong way if somebody's just already made the decision in themselves to want to. So do this that. guy was like, he he. It was basically. Um, uh, that's like so, saying a marriage license makes people married right. you know I mean, it's it, salvation interrupt us you know here you were <laughs> yeah you, you're ready you're locked that was in. my first time too I think I'd, and I'd ever had that opportunity of somebody that you know to ask me to do that before so basically that that moment of of what people would say saving somebody is is the acknowledgement of somebody saying I, I'm ready to take Jesus into my heart and and then you say 
uh, let's pray. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, well, I mean, you congrat, you know, congratulations or whatever. I mean, definitely it was a kid that I didn't think wanted to do that. And I think he was just there because his parents made him come. But oh, and something just... turned him, you know, I mean, something in the sense of seeing, maybe seeing through me, um, you know, that, that he, he noticed that I had something different in me and that he wanted that, uh-huh. or maybe he just wanted to make me think that I had, you know, he liked me and he just wanted me, oh, I just want Nick to think he did something good. So let me, let me you know, help this know, guy. Yeah, out. let me help Nick out. Looks like he's ready. <laughs> <laughs> so what was another time? Well, did you feel um, like, yeah, have you, have you done it right since then? Did you? Yeah, feel- I've done it. I mean, like I've been in the Philippines twice, you know, for two week trips at a time to um, take street kids out to like a camp similar to that. And and uh, who sends you the church or well, this- the, the two Philippines trips I did with three friends. We just built the whole trip ourselves and went out and partnered with a, an you agency. Weren't affili- but you weren't affiliated with a church. We our church sent us like we came to the church and said, we want to do this. And then we met this like this organization, the Inter- International Action or something like that. Uh-huh. We partnered with them and went out, and they set us up with like a guy, and he took us around, and and uh, you know we went on a vacation for a few days of it afterwards, and we called that debriefing. So and, wait, uh, so what'd you do with these kids, and how do you know that we you- just had fun with them, and we'd sing songs with them, and the language barrier was a big thing, but yeah. in the end, just. These kids have no parents, you know, they're street kids that are huffing glue and paint right. on the streets and it's a terrible situation and a lot of them are you know dealing with different sexuality things and and they've been abused in a, m- a whole bunch of ways. And uh it was just about kind of showing them there are people in the world that do love you and that do want to care for you. And we built like a big rope thing for them. We actually made the camp better. We brought things to leave there. And then just 2 years ago my wife and I went to Kenya for a two-week thing in this this area called Kaibera. Who which sent is a you slum. on that one? Um, I went with a local guy who, who runs this church, and uh, he was actually shooting a documentary at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, I got to perform there in this thing, and, and, and it was about storytelling, so I did one of my stand-up bits. It's about, like, one of my oldest ones about Insta Messenger, and did that, and even if the kids understood it or not, you know, and filmed it and kind of watched their reaction. And then I did an acting class for a week with kids in this slum that would like to be actors. You know, and, and it was funny, too, because I remember saying one kid really wanted to do comedy. And I said, well, who do you like? You know, like Chris Rock or, you know, <laughs> thinking like, like black and, guys. Yeah. And he, and he goes, uh, Mr. Bean. Oh, yeah. That was, he didn't know who Mr. He didn't know who Kid Rock was it. Chris Rock. He well, didn't know anybody. They probably it depends what they get, you know, on TV. Yeah, there. They get that British comedy. So. All right, but but in, in both of those situations, I mean, how outside of doing humanitarian missions, you know, with, you know, sort of hands on. Um, fun stuff for kids who are disadvantaged. I mean, where does the the Christian element come into it? Well, while we're while we're there, we're it's it's you know it's all about they're they're going through different verses, and there is a speaker, and it's probably a local guy, and um, maybe we put together like a drama to do for them, like something just terrible that would be embarrassing if anybody ever saw it. But these kids, to them, it's like like what like what. Like a scene out of the Bible, you okay, know, yeah. or you know something. Do you, do, who do you play usually? Tell a story. I've been Jesus a couple times. Yeah, you know, I've uh, I've been Joseph before. <laughs> so you do the manger thing. I've been Judas before as well. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are morality plays for kids. Yeah, just to you know, or it's just a situation that they might go through every day to give them uh, a tool to how to deal with something. You know, like. Uh, but there's scripts that 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 are used for these things. Yeah, that right? we would work on. But like this Africa one, I was actually um, I played this character the whole time that was like Captain America or some, I forget Captain Innocent or something, and I was just like this reoccurring thing that would run through, and I wore a cape, and the kids just thought it was the greatest thing ever. But it was just so you know. But did you deliver the good news? Oh yeah, yeah we yeah we would. 
for sure. And there were parts, you know, and they get so emotional too because their lives are so hard. And when they see that people do love them and they see that there are people out there, you know, and I'm sure that plays into it. Maybe it's not all about God. It's just about feeling the love from other people for them. And they're so overwhelmed by that. You know, who knows what actually makes them want to, make that decision well, so the, well i mean this is uh you know impressive and interesting to me that you know this is a uh, yeah obviously i mean this is two years ago this is i act- didn't expect to talk about this by this the a, way it's <laughs> an active part of your life and you, you know and it's a unique disposition to have and it's certainly a unique uh disposition to um to to shamelessly talk about with me who as uh, someone who intimidates you and someone you know, on some level who is is fairly totally uh, against it right no 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 I, mm-hmm. I I don't think that at all uh, uh, my my attitudes around it have changed that yeah in a sense that what you're telling me you know outside of the the sort of um, the missionary element in that you know Jesus is involved is that it's it's the same way it's it you've couched it in this uh, you know, uh, charitable and, and humanitarian thing, and that, I think the core of it is that you are spreading some love and some encouragement and and some humanity. Um, Who knows how much you to, know. to 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 people that are in, in desperate situations? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the real question is is that you know what is what what is what is the price to pay for for the uh, you know the dogma of it all, and and where do you stand? And we and we don't necessarily have to talk about it because it's not. It's not really relative, but it, it, it's how how religion is used, you know, in dictating, you, you know, people's uh, lives socially. You know, there 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 are moral issues around, or not moral issues, but there are, are certainly uh, the abortion issue is what it is, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I imagine I, I know what your position is on that, and and the um, and there are other sort of pro choice. You're pro choice. Yeah. Okay. How'd you come to that? Um, by, I think maybe it was when I was in the Philippines and I saw like real, you know, I think I'd been brought up in in a family that was pro-life and, uh, being out and seeing people that are in in need of having abortions because of rape or because of, you know, whatever, um, realizing that, that that's a choice that people need to make on their own. And and I don't think it's a bad decision. I think it's, I think it's a great decision, especially depending on their life, you know, but now and their circumstances. Well, would you say that that coming to that position was part of your questioning process about the nature of your faith? Yeah, but I don't I mean, I don't know if that has I think that has to do with questioning parts of the church. I think what has happened to me over the years is the church. I just it's hard for me to be around which church the the general Christian church or churches the... in general. I mean, I just kind of got scared of them and and uh, uncomfortable in them. For these reasons, because of uh, that, and maybe my sins, and oh yeah, you know, who I mean, because I, I'm not living a, a pure life. I'm not living a a life that you know. I'm probably the life that most people in those churches are living is what I'm living. But well, you, you know, I'm not it. hiding it. I'm not right. hiding my life, and I don't. I don't. I and there was a time when I would hide my life, and so your sins in turn, you you would hide your Christian life. Oh yeah, depending on who you're going to but but you when you were younger you hid your life because of shame and now it's interesting that you live in a that you live and work in a community where that there there's sort of a shame element to actually having the point of view that you have around God. yeah but you know what i noticed is there is a feeling of maybe i'm embarrassed you know especially when i first started or even meeting people that weren't christians i was shame to let them know and then i That's realized I mean, over yeah. time People don't look down. I mean, I don't think people look down on me for it. I think people actually look at me and respect me for it because I'm not hiding anything about it. I'm not, 
you know, and I also don't know what's right. I don't know anything. I mean, I'm, I'm not a very smart guy. So, well, that's, but that's a humble position to take as opposed to a proselytizing position. I think that yeah. most people's ideas of, uh, of, of what they can expect from someone Christian is that I think immediately when that's introduced into the conversation, they get uncomfortable. It's, it's not that, you know, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily always like, you know, there's no God. It's sort of like, well, he's one of them and, you know, I'm a, I'm dirty. Well, it's like being sober and you're at a bar around people. And do you want to drink? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I don't drink. Well, what are you? Oh, okay. Yeah, is it okay if I drink then around you? Is <laughs> oh, so you're okay? going to be looking at me all night? Yeah, yeah, right, right. You're no. not going to be fun now. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. So what do you, what, so, so then how do you deal with your sins? If you're not affiliated with a church, is that just a part of your relationship with with God as a well, person? That's, yeah, well, you know, the Catholic Church, to, to confess your sins, you go in and you do yeah, confession. I get that. And then in a Christian church, it's about having that personal relationship to where you can just take your sins yourself. Right, yeah. Hate yourself that. quietly. Yeah. And hope that Jesus forgives you. Yeah, or and then you want, you know, then you have to set up accountability partners that you can confess to, so it's not like you're just secretly doing that. You know, like, that's what they want. Well, that's how the sort of freelance Christian world works, is that you have yeah. to find another... Uh, like-minded person to be an accountability partner. Like going to a meeting. I get it. No, it's like a sponsorship relationship. or it, It's sort of like a more um, uh, uh, populist uh, uh, confessional. That, you know, it, it's just the, the idea of, of sharing that sin with somebody else and having it heard. And, and, and having it come out and then having them ask you about it another time, you know, to whatever it is. How's that going with that sin? That kind of thing? Yeah. Hey, how, <laughs> how's, still sinning? You still doing that? <laughs> Well, keep keep it, you know, keep oh, yeah? trying not to. <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting thing is the guilt that it comes when you've confessed and then you continue to do it is is greater. So that's what you that's what I guess they intend for that to do is the guilt will make you stop, I guess, to have people ask you about it. Well, you know, one of the things that changed my mind around the thinking about this is uh, I have a very I have a lot of respect for this author, Chris Hedges, who is a. Uh, yeah, he's a political writer, but he's also a critic. He wrote a, a book called War is a Force that Gives Us Meaning. He was a, a seminary student. He went into the ministry, you know, Harvard mm-hmm. uh, Seminary School, I think. And then he decided not to be a minister, and he became a war correspondent in the Balkans and wrote a tremendous book uh, mm-hmm. about you know the nature of war. But he wrote another book in a, a recent book. He's written a book uh, criticizing the... Uh, the um, radical Christians here called American Fascism. And he's, he wrote a book as a, as a response to the atheist books uh, called I Don't Believe in Atheism. I've heard of that book. Yeah, it's a, it's a good book, it's, and it's a short read. But, you know, his uh, you know, understanding of sin you know, made me look at it differently. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that sin, as a, you know, what sins are, are really a reminder that human beings aren't perfect. And that there is no real perfecting them. Mm-hmm. They, this is the way we're wired. And it's a relatively short list if you really think about it. You know, how human beings fuck up. So the, the idea of sin was really de- de- developed as sort of a, of a moral barometer for personal behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, and how you reckon with them, it has to be first, in, I mean, in the Christian way, is to realize that, uh, you know, we aren't perfect. And, 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 and on some level, that's why Jesus died for us, is, is to be a constant reminder of that. And all we can do is is do the best we can and these are the moral parameters and most of them are pretty reasonable but i think when you get into you know beating yourself up for jerking off to porn too much then you know that that becomes a little crazy i mean there are other issues there but i think compulsive behavior if it stands in between your relationship with others i.e god that i mean on some level you know there's another or women 
Well, know? right, but there's a Jewish existentialist uh, Hasidic writer, Martin Buber, that talks about the relationship between I and thou, uh, which, you know, on a broad level, uh, it's personified in everyone. So, you know, to sort of personify that behavior in, in, in what you identify as God as just being other people, then it becomes a little more relatable and a little more, um, you know, the struggle, you know, it's not as weird and isolated. That This is clearly a barrier to me being, you know, selfless in this relationship. Mm -hmm. Is that sort of like yeah. what you deal with? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I don't know. For sins, I you feel guilt and you feel, you know, just like anybody feels for being a bad person. And I think for me, that's... But that's a little much. Bad person. I mean, what what would you have to do to feel like you're a bad person, really? To um, gossip about somebody, you know? It, to, to, to do something that... Not only would I feel like a bad person about the person that I gossiped about, but the person that I gossiped to about that person. Because then I just maybe brought, you know, brought somebody else into something they didn't need to be, need, didn't need to be involved in or... Yeah, know. gossip's a fucking bitch, you know, because it, you know, I, we're all guilty of it, you mm -hmm. know, because you know, the community we're in is just a, a like a, a haven for it. I get caught up in it all the time. Yeah, and and it and it really is destructive, and especially in in the age of internet, character assassination is a big deal, mm -hmm. and it and it's and it and it can grow and build, and it's just amazing that they were, you know, intuitive about that as far back as since human beings, you know, established communities. Yeah, that this is like this is this is dangerous. Yeah, people not, will fall, cities will fall, relationships and it ruins will be names, and then ruins everyone else's outlook. And all right, so let's let's take back. You, you want to pray? <laughs> let's <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's take a knee. Do you want to, Are you ready to accept the Lord as your Savior? <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> what before? if that was my whole goal, right? <laughs> to come in here. Well, I I've, mean, obviously, on some level, it is. You know, not with me particularly, but you know, you said earlier it should that. Be. that well, no, I, I think just by nature of your honesty about it, you, you know, you're going to have an influence, mm -hmm. you, you know. I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to take Jesus into my heart, but I mean, you know, I, I think of you differently and not in a negative way. And I think that uh, that I'm, I'm sort of curious as to, you know, where you you kind of designated your uh, your 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 lapse. I mean, what you say that now that you're in this community and, that, you know, I mean, what what started to fuck with you? To, to sort of uh, buckle your, it doesn't seem like your faith really buckled, uh, but but what kind of questions? When did that happen? Where you're like, huh, maybe maybe I'm not right about this. You know, when tell I left, me about this I, time in the desert. When I left to Seattle, when I left Seattle, actually when I went to Europe for my own like little backpack, you know, three mm -hmm. months little trip, I definitely saw there was a bigger world out there, and then I saw the way that America was looked at, which I wasn't aware of. Yeah. And uh, just made me question a lot. And then I, you know, got back home and wanted to move to L.A. And then right away I realized the cocoon that I was in and the, the, the things that I was surrounded by, especially with my parents. And, you know, my parents are also in the same way. They're not they don't go to church really anymore like they used to. Um, right. But you seem to have a very good relationship with them. I know and I every do, time because yeah. I've seen you in Seattle like twice and you're like, well, I'm going out with my cousin, my family, my this, that. Yeah, they're very supportive. Mm. Yeah. My dad is definitely my biggest, you know, fan. Everything. Well, that's sweet. But do you find ever, like, do you ever sort of lapse into uh, those moments, like being here in Los Angeles, where you're like, I'm in, like, uh, the, this is like hell, this is like temptation, I can't. No, I love it here. I do love it here. But and, do you ever have that type of crisis of faith, where you're like, yeah. I'm being tested? Well, also, like, I've just been in, like, a rut for a month, just being terrible, or, you know, just, whether it's being mean to people, been depressed, and then in my own head, and then putting that out. Not you know? thinking of other people first. Yeah. But I I do that I don't I don't know how often I do think of other people first not you know isn't that part of it <laughs> it definitely is part of it 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, the the sin of pride is a big one. It's interesting because I don't think, I mean, well, especially with how popular shows with comics, I don't, I'd never probably talk to most, you know, comedian friends about that side of my life. So it'll be interesting to see people. You comfortable with it? Look at me now. I mean, yeah, I'm not uncomfortable with it, but I am, you know, curious about it. Well, I'd heard rumblings about this. <laughs> I'm curious of all the rumblings you've heard about me because it seems like there's a few, but I don't, probably no, a lot but, less yeah, I, than I imagine. No, no, I so rarely am out, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't talk to people that much, you know, in here sometimes. But but someone had said, I think that, you know, you're pretty Christian, and it wasn't in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And I sort of knew that in the back of my head, but I didn't know what that meant. And I honestly don't, um, look, you know, good people are good people. And, and, and the, the truth is, is that as bad a rap as Christianity gets in terms of its, the way it's stereotyped, uh, around, uh, social issues, there's a lot of very reasonable, decent, um, Christians. And I, I think that, that if anything at a, at a core level that, you know, Christianity or the, or the tenets of, of, of how one is to see the world and treat other people. There's, there's nothing bad about it. It's what you said. It's when churches get involved and politics gets involved and, and people are, uh, you know, people are taken advantage of because of their beliefs and, and mm-hmm. led astray. But that's an old story. Yeah. The one thing I do know is I'm definitely not one of those guys. Is that mm-hmm. like, you know, my, like I've actually gone on stage now recently where I literally will say I'm not an atheist. I just don't give a shit. And and I know that like you know sensitive people could hear the pain in that, mm-hmm. and certainly Christians are sort of like he's he's game, we, yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. ready, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk to him after the show. Yeah, right. But they don't, and I've defied them on stage before. I said, you know, as much as I criticize this stuff, none of you have ever come up to me afterwards and tried to save my soul, and I am a prize. Well, how many people come out to your show? Do you think trying to save you? They're probably coming out as fans. I, right, but I get a lot of baked goods, a lot of knitted caps. So they're a very nurturing bunch. Yeah. But but I think a lot of they them care about you. Right. But 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 the weird thing is is I don't like I don't feel that desperate. I don't feel that life is meaningless. I don't feel that it's empty. You know, I do have a lot of aggravation and I do obviously um satiate myself. Yeah, you know, I'm sucking nicotine lozenges. I drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, you know, I jerk off a lot. You know, I you know, I you, you know, I I'm sort of uh, compulsive sexually, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I've heard you know, <laughs> but I have those <laughs> heard things. rumblings of that. Yeah. yeah. Rumblings. Mm-hmm. I've uh, I've uh, you know I definitely have those things and I acknowledge them not in the in the same way that you would frame them as sin, but I, I know compulsive behavior and I know from my experience with other compulsive behavior how it diminishes your your capacity for for true relationship. I mean, I get mm-hmm. all that, but I you know I just don't see that there's going to be a day where I'm like, you know, Jesus is going to answer all these questions and give me a context. I get the context, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, not unlike Christianity, that the the struggle there is no perfection, and and that you know spirituality is a, is a process. So along those lines, just in the same way that you came to terms with with uh, where you stand on abortion, you come to terms personally with, you know, well, what can I bear? You know, what can I live with? How much is this destroying me on the inside? You know, life is pretty short, which I guess why, you know, heaven is attractive to some people. It's like, but see, I can't- They want to believe that there is something better. We get a little relief. Yeah. You know? In the back of their head. It's like knowing you've got an IRA out there. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And where you stand on that? (laughs) On having an IRA? On having heaven. Oh, God, I don't know. You think it's there? Do I think there's a heaven? Yeah. Yeah. 
Huh. Mm-hmm. Hell? I hope I make it. <laughs> you think there's a hell? I don't think there could be one without the other. Huh. I hope that there's not a hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it was great talking to you, Nick. I hope so. Don't stop it. God bless you. <laughs> Tell, you got to say God bless God bless you. yourself. Is that okay? Is that what Christians no, say? No, it's probably the wrong thing. What, so God bless it. you too. Oh, that, so you did it wrong again? May Jesus be with you. Ooh. Okay. I don't want to end like that. You don't? Well, I, I, you know, I would, well, if it makes you feel any better, I wouldn't know whether he's with me or not. Okay. All right. Nick Thune, what a great conversation and uh, surprising and open and vulnerable in a way that I've not experienced on this show before. And I really appreciate him coming down again. Is it again or is it just now? Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF needs. Got some new merch. Got some signed posters up there. Got the new shirts. Got mugs. Got a uh, little... Ah, JustCoffee.coop. You can get that over there. What else? You can go to the uh, iTunes and search WTF Premium for some of those uh, you know, more popular, older WTF episodes. Get the app for the iPhone, iPod Touch, iPad, Droid. You can do all that at WTFPod.com. And come to Rooster Teeth Feathers in Sunnyvale, July 7th, 8th, 9th, or 10th. I will be there on stage talking into a microphone. Todd Hansen on Thursday. This is a deep week. Um, That's all I'm going to say. This is a deep week.